You are listening to the MJ Sportscast. Recapping the latest games, getting you up to date on the latest sports news, and providing our exciting Bay Area picks. This is the MJ Sportscast with your hosts, Mike Tang and Jerry Yang. Welcome, everyone, to episode 21 of the MJ Sportscast. Jerry Yang, how are you doing today? Doing good, man. How are you doing today? Uh, doing well, doing well. What's um, on the top of your mind? Well, lots of stuff, <laughs> lots of sports stuff. I think one of the things I've been tracking pretty closely is actually Jeremy Lin. Um, so recently he was signed to the Warriors uh, G League team and he's had a few uh, really good impressive games. I think like three games where he um, set like a personal best on threes and led the team with threes and had a few wins. Um, but then he missed the last two games with back issues. So now it's kind of concerning if uh, is it a real injury or are they preserving him because they're potentially going to call up, call him up into the NBA, into the Warriors roster. Um, don't know, right? And they also, uh, the Warriors also signed uh, Jacob Evans back to the uh, G League team. So that's a little bit more a cause of concern for Jeremy Lin. But yeah, I've been following that Jeremy Lin uh, situation pretty closely, so... How, how about you, Mike? Yeah, I mean, regards to the Jeremy Lin situation, it looks like he's trying to get back into the NBA and try to prove to teams that he is not injury-prone um, here. And in the short term, it looks like that's not the case because he has missed a couple games um, due to injury here. And he is, um, you know, reaching um, min- his mid-30s. And, you know, the Warriors, they have quite a few other options younger options um, here. And that's probably going to be Jordan Poole, to be honest with you. Um, Jordan Poole is signed Mm -hmm. through next year here. Jeremy Lin isn't. So in regards to the players are trying to experiment having Poole play more point guard here. And I'm sure they're going to call him up and give him more minutes to be, to be quite um, frank, because that second, um, that second unit for the Warriors They've been so inconsistent, and they, they just don't really flow together very well. They have Brad Wanamaker, who's probably not going to be with the team next year. He's not doing very well offensively. Defensively, um, he's getting minutes, and he's just there for his defense. But if we're looking into the future, we're probably going to be looking at Jordan Poole um, being more of a playmaker. Um, there's rumors that, he, that Kerr will probably want to put him on the floor with Wiseman a little bit more as they have a little bit of a chemistry there. So in terms of Jeremy Lin, I'm not sure if fans should anticipate him being in the future anytime soon with the Warriors. Yeah, I have to agree with you on Jordan Poole. I think they they drafted him to be that guy, right? To be the person that can run that second unit and maybe even potentially replace Steph Curry at some point. Um, so I think they have to roll with him. But if Jordan Poole doesn't perform or he performs like the way he did um, a year ago, right, <laughs> then then we'll have to see what their options are, right? But I, I agree with you. They have to go with him because they have to. They drafted him in that top position. 
Um, and in terms of Jeremy Lin, I agree with you on the injury concern, right? And that's why I said it was a big concern with <laughs> that he's missed two games in the, with back issues because I think that's the biggest knock on Lin right now is being able to stay healthy. So, so yeah, I know chances are pretty slim for Lin, but you know I'm a big fan, so just trying to keep the hope alive from a fandom perspective, but. I agree with you from a practical standpoint that um, you know Lynn's probably not the future with the team. So, well, we'll see. And I agree with you on Wanamaker as well. I'm a, I'm a little bit disappointed by him. I mean, he's a he's a veteran in in the NBA, but he doesn't play like one. He plays really recklessly and kind of reminds me of a little bit of like early like Clay Thompson or or Miguel Petrus, where they made a lot of mistakes. You know, a lot of, a lot of mind i guess bonehead mind <laughs> mistakes where it could have been avoided um but cost the team of turnovers or um taking bad shots and things like that and defensively i think he's you know decent on the defensive end i think that's a plus for him but but he definitely doesn't play like the veteran that he should be playing at. um so yeah, so yeah. I, I mean, in that. regards to Wanamaker, we're looking at his um, his career statistics here. He's really only like a five point five points per game score, uh, averages a couple assists a game. His field goal percentage is typically around the forty three percentile. Um, looking at this season with the Warriors, his numbers are down in points, um, four point seven points a game. Um, assist total has gone up a little bit, 2.7, but his field goal percentage has drastically gone down from 43% in his career to 35% um, here. But um, Wanamaker is who he is. Um, he's just basically a second string mm-hmm. point guard. He's going to provide um, good defensive minutes. Uh, we can't expect him to score a whole lot um, here. We would love to have his field goal percentage um, go up. But if we're expecting someone to, you know, come off the bench and score about 10 to 12 points a game, that's really not who Wanamaker is um, here. So just kind of trying to temper our own expectations of the second tier point guard. And he's a one year 2.25 million player, right? So it's not like we're paying loads of money to be a superstar, but just now with the experience, he'll bring a little bit more. That's all. So I'm wondering how soon they might consider cutting ties with him, you know? So that's that's going on in my mind there. Yep. And another thing that's been a little disappointing is just how inconsistent the Warriors are and how they can't close any games, really, when it comes down to the wire. The only game that they really did close was probably the, um, the Heat game, which was last Wednesday, February 17th, in which they were trailing uh, most of that game there, and they came back to one. But we're looking back at the last schedule the past uh, week or so that they beat the Heat. They beat the Magic on Friday here. Um, And then they lost um, another game here. Um, This was, no, they actually lost to the Magic, I'm sorry, on Friday by four. They had like a 13-point lead or whatnot in the fourth quarter. And then they also blew another lead against the Hornets on on Saturday night here. That should be a 4-0 week. And they only went two and two. So when you look at a lot of teams all throughout sports, the teams that can close games are the teams that make it far into the playoffs. And those are the elite teams. We kind of look at another team across, you know, across the Bay, which are the Giants. We saw what happened to their season when they can't close games, right? They blew a lot of one run games. They blew a lot of ninth inning leads here and they ended up not being in the playoffs. 
And that's kind of how I see this Warriors team this year. When you can't close games as a unit, you're just not going to make it very far into this into the postseason here. So that's just my take on how the season has gone for the Dubs. Well, they did close out the Knicks in this last game. And I think with the Magic and the Hornets, I, I agree with you on the Magic. They should have closed that one out. But they didn't have, obviously, Wiseman and Looney there. And then with the Hornets game, they didn't have Steph Curry in that game. Right, so it was a miracle that they were actually in it still, um, and it, it was kind of a tough road trip for them as well. It was back-to-back games, right? So to actually be in the lead near the end with the Hornets game was kind of a miracle. I thought I thought they were just going to get blown out, um, given the talent on the Hornets side, and it was a back-to-back game without Curry. Um, I know we'll get into it, but that that game was really disappointing the way it ended. Right? And I think it was. Draymond Green's fault that we lost, <laughs> to be frank with you, right? Um, it was a jump ball that they were fighting for. And then Draymond Green um, thought that the refs should have gave you know, um, a foul to him rather than a jump ball. So they called, or he wanted a jump ball rather. And then, but the uh, Hornets called timeout. And the play before that, it was the same situation in reverse. But the refs didn't give him the timeout. They called it a jump ball. And that's why Draymond Green started, started getting really angry, blowed up on the refs, and he got a double T and got ejected in that game. And then that led to two free throws, which tied the game. And then there was a clutch um, clutch uh, game winner at the end. Right? So, so yeah, I think they were, they were close to winning that game. It was just Draymond Green couldn't contain himself. Yeah, uh, it's just very inexcusable mistake from a veteran like Draymond Green here. And it's gotten to the point where fans, are are we really going to put up with this charade for longer? But at the same time, like Draymond Green is under contract for several more years and it doesn't look like he's going anywhere soon. So it's, it's going to be up to the player to kind of do a self-evaluation and kind of tone it down when it comes to these things. Because when we do have to win games down the line, we the Warriors can't afford to have these kind of mishaps. Yeah, he, it's a discipline issue, right? Being a veteran for Draymond Green, he should be able to control himself. But I think at the same time, if you look at the other end, we like Draymond Green because he's fiery, right? He's out there <laughs> barking at um, teammates if teammates are slacking, and he gets really into the game. A lot of passion, a lot of emotion into the game. And I think without Curry there in this last game, or in the Hornets game, is probably why he kind of blew off, right? Because I think he felt the pressure of being that veteran, having to carry the team and and lead lead the team as you know the, the original top three of that team. Now he's put in that leadership position. I think that's why he blew up, right? Like he was really trying to win that game without Curry, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, at the same time, like you said, those games can be costly if if it was like a real playoff game or if the Warriors were, you know, in contention for like a top seed or something like that. So so yeah, we'll kind of have to see. Um, but in terms of the Warriors tolerating Draymond, I think they have to, right? I think he's one of the best players on our team, and like you said, he's signed for a long contract now that represents that. So. Yeah, absolutely here. And some other stuff that's been on my mind is uh, the Giants um, have signed a couple more free agents um, here. And uh, the general theme, it looks like, are 
um, you know, signing players who either were hurt most or all of last year or who have struggled um, here. So we can definitely go into that more um, into yeah. the baseball segment. Does it feel like it's Trent Baalke running the Giants? <laughs> this... Well, I think Trent Baalke had a knack for actually drafting a guys who had like torn ACLs, broken bones and things like that um, here. Uh, try to get players from for cheap out of the draft. Um, the Giants are trying to do something in a similar way, but doing it through free agency. Yeah, through free agency signings, trying to find a gem in the rough, right? I guess that's why I made the comparison is that they're trying to reach for these deals and it could be boom or bust, right? Like Scott Casimir maybe has a few more years left in them that we don't know about and we're getting a great deal, but I don't know. The odds are against them, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess what what else was on my mind was D Ford, right? Um, for the mm-hmm. Niners, I kind of went back and forth with Beast Rider on this one. Actually, <laughs> we we're talking a lot mm-hmm. about um, D Ford and his contract, and it just seems like a very impossible contract, right? Um, the Niners kind of dug themselves in a hole on this one by restructuring his contract. So, from what I read, is the Niners can wait till after June fourth or June first to move D Ford because that way it will free up sixteen million. And they can absorb a 4.78 million dead salary cap. But the down part is their salary cap has to be below um, a certain number um, at the start of March. Right. And if they can't be below that salary cap number, then the regular um, dead money kicks in, which is 14.35 million in dead money. Right. And only saving them 6 million in cap space. But I guess the other bigger issue is D4 has to be healthy. If they cut D4 when he's injured, there's going to be a huge injury settlement that also hits the cap. Um, it just seems like such a disappointing contract with D4 altogether, I feel like. <laughs> Even when he was good in 2019, he's only played 11 games, and he only had 226 snaps, which is 20% or 22% of the snaps. And you compare that to Bosa, who had 70, uh, 777 snaps, and he played 75% of the snaps, right? Obviously, D4 is a little bit older, and he does have some injury issues, and that's why they were limiting his snaps. But we're paying him a lot of money, right? <laughs> this is a really big contract that the uh, Niners paid him. So it's a five-year, $85 million. And I think, to me, it's just the reason why I keep thinking about this is I I'm just super frustrated with this contract right? <laughs> and the value they got back. And it kind of points to John Lynch as well. I think this is one of the big point where I feel like it's a big negative for John Lynch. And if they can't somehow get out of this contract situation with him, it's going to really hurt the team for the next few years. Yeah, this um, the administration really dug themselves in a hole and it's really w- one of their um, biggest mishaps in free agent signings um, here in which they offered Ford um, a pretty high commitment deal, uh, a huge third year um, guarantee. So they didn't really protect themselves in the case that this would happen. And that's why a lot of NFL teams, they're very hesitant to offer guarantee contracts without getting any, anything in return, basically. So they basically, a lot of teams, they give out one or two, you know, contracts, year contracts, and they want the athlete to perform before they extend them. In this case here, Ford was already an injury risk coming in to the 49ers. Mm-hmm. They signed him 
right? Trying to think, okay, we're just going to sign him because we think that he's going to be this player that we envision. Yeah, I, I right? agree. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he did pretty well with KC, right? That's probably why they signed him. But the reason why KC let him go was he was pretty injured the last year with them as well. So it, it it's, it's just frustrating. I know it's on my mind, and I think we're going to have to track that situation closely and see what the Niners do. Um, I think once we see D4 healthy, um, it might be a decision point of do we still roll with them, you know, and not take that dead cap money and have another pass rusher, you know. So, so we'll see. I think that boat might sail already, but who knows? Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough because on one side of the coin, D4 did help the Niners get to the Super Bowl um, here, even though he did miss some games. On the other side of the coin, the Niners gave him that huge contract, and they also traded a second-round draft pick for the guy. And he's not going to play for probably like two years, two seasons out of that three-year deal. Yeah, and that's why I think we're kind of in this um, cap situation that we're in, right? It's because of deals like this and not having the draft capital. So, so disappointing, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. In other NFL news with the Niners, we're still hearing some more Jimmy Garoppolo trade rumors. Uh, looks like the Patriots and Belichick have reached out to the 49ers in regards to, um, obtaining Jimmy G here. Do you think um, some of these trades are feasible here, or do you think it's just all white noise? Yeah, um, we'll have to see, right? Because I know Belichick is most likely done with Cam Newton, right? Cam Newton, I don't think, Mm -hmm. is coming back from the Patriots. Um, So he's on the lookout. And I know Jimmy G probably wants to go to the Patriots, right? (laughs) back from came from um i think it's an issue with the owners there so not sure how that's gonna work out but you know another interesting trade rumor that i saw was with the vikings and texans in a three-way trade so niners received kirk cousins which is you know kyle shanahan's favorite quarterback apparently (laughs) alexander Mm -hmm. madison uh, running mm-hmm. back Alexander Madison. So that guy's actually pretty good. I think um, based on what we saw and skill sets, he he would be a pretty good fit in our team. I think especially at the goal line. I think he's one of those type of backs, right? And then linebacker Anthony Barr. Um, mm-hmm. He's a four-time pro bowler and you know t- one of the top players in the team. Um, so linebacker, definitely need that help. And the Vikings receive Deshaun, Jack- Deshaun Watson. But then here's where it gets kind of funky, right? Texans receive Jimmy G, Niners' 12th round pick overall in 2021. Um, and then the Vikings received the 14th overall pick for, or sorry, the Texans received the Vikings' 14th overall pick, their second round pick in 2022, and then their 2023 first round pick, and their 2023 second round pick. Right? So. Five picks plus Jimmy for the Texans. We get three, you know, veteran players at quarterback, running back, and linebacker, and the Vikings get Deshaun Watson. I guess it's in a lot of people's minds, this is like a win-win for all three teams, and I kind of agree with that in some ways, but the Vikings will really be giving up their capital. And I think one big thing that also might stop um, this trade is Jimmy G has a trade clause, right? Um, does he really want to go to the Texans? Maybe that's the only team that would pay him. 
at this point potentially, but then you have the Patriots there as well, right? So, so I don't know how realistic this trade is, but if it happens, I I don't think it'll be terrible, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, from the Niners' standpoint, it doesn't look like a bad deal at all. Basically, you're giving up Jimmy Garoppolo and the first rounder for, you know, a, a replaceable quarterback. You get a an All Pro linebacker and and also running back depth. Yep. Here, the the team that's giving up a whole lot are the Vikings. Yeah. Uh, here, when we, they're giving up a ton of for Deshaun Watson, but if the Vikings feel that they feel that that Deshaun Watson is the missing piece, then I you know I think it's okay for them to go for this deal too. So. Yeah, they're solid on wide receiver help too, right? Justin Jefferson has been a stud. Um, and then they have, um, who else? The other running wide receiver too. That slipped my mind, but... Um, oh, Adam Thielen, yeah. right? So he, they're pretty set in terms of receivers. Um, and that offensive line is okay, right? <laughs> um, I think, actually, Kirk Cousins did pretty decent last season with them. So, so yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to this trade. I thought it was kind of interesting. And Peter King is the one that wrote that. And usually he's pretty reputable when it comes to this type of thing. So we'll, we'll kind of have to see if this will happen. And I'm just wondering if um, how often these three-way trades occur, right? <laughs> I know it happens a lot in the NBA for sure. But I don't know if I heard of the last one in the NFL. So we'll have to see if that, that pans out. Yeah, and another thing that hasn't been spoken of is Jimmy Garoppolo's contract. It's not fully guaranteed um, here for the next few seasons. So Jimmy is probably looking for another guaranteed contract with another team. So if the Texans can negotiate something with him um, there where he gets like, you know, like a five to seven year contract, then I think Jimmy... I think Jimmy Garoppolo might be all for that and wave his no trade. Mm, yeah, to the Texans, to right? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that hasn't really been spoken about too much um, here because some team like the Niners who have Jimmy G, they can just drop him and no don't have to pay him the twenty five to twenty six million that he's owed for this fall. Yeah, season. absolutely right. And the Texans will have so many picks to offset that as well that. They're, they'll be in good shape even if Jimmy doesn't pan out for that first year. So, so yeah, we'll see. I, I kind of hope it happens in some ways. Basically, I'm pretty happy to get Barr and Madison and Kirk Cousin to me is if that's really who Kyle really wants to play with. Um, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll see if the magic is there, right? <laughs> so, yeah. That's basically all the football news um, here. It's been kind of a slow week in terms of football. But training, um, in terms of spring training um, for Major League Baseball, um, players are reporting to their teams and have been working out um, with them. Uh, recently, the Giants signed uh, Scott Casimir to a minor league deal. Um, if you don't know Scott Casimir, um, he's a former pitcher. Uh, he used to pitch with the Rays here, and he's you know 37 years old. He hasn't pitched since 2016. So that's about five years or so. Um, what is your what is your take? Your just like a quick take on this signing, Jared. Do you think he? Do you think the Giants are really expecting him to be a contributor? <laughs> I mean, he's thirty seven years old. And it hasn't played for five years, right? But I guess the plus side is they said in a bullpen session he was throwing ninety two, ninety three 
fastballs, right? Mile per hour fastballs. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's a minor league deal, probably super low risk. Um, why not? I guess, right? <laughs> um, so uh, I, I don't know if he'll make the roster. To be honest with you, I think it was just one of those things they brought him in, see if he still has some stuff left. Maybe play him in the minors for a couple games and cut him if he if he's not good, you know. And then if he does get put into the main roster, I think it would just be more in the bullpen capacity. Um, I don't see him as like a fifth starter even. Right. Um, but, mm. you know, he could prove us wrong. So I guess there's another low risk, plus potentially <laughs> high reward um, type deal for a former. Ace. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the pattern that we're seeing with Farhan. So <laughs> not surprised here at all. <laughs> yeah. In addition to Casimir, the Giants also signed Japanese um, right handed pitcher Sean Yamaguchi. Um, here, Yamaguchi, he pitched for the Toronto Blue Jays um, last season. He's 33 years old um, here, and uh, he's owed about $3.2 million or so, which the Toronto will be paying him. And it looks like another one of those low-risk, potentially high-reward um, type deals. Yet, when you look at Yamaguchi and the way he pitched last season, you know, nothing, is really, nothing really stands out. You know, he has a good splitter here and there. Uh, he hits his fastball about 92 or so. But um, he does sometimes have location issues uh, with his pitches. And when those location issues uh, pop up, hitters tend to uh, hit home runs off him. So that's kind of like my team. Yeah, and signing Toronto so was paying him $3.2 million just to get rid of him, basically, right? So <laughs> that kind of tells you a lot. You know, a yeah. team doesn't pay that kind of money if they think you have something there, right? They could have they could have dropped him to the minor league as well, but they didn't. So, you know, low risk once again because it's not going to hit our cap number at all. And, yeah, we'll have to see how it goes with him, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, and it looks like the giant, you know, the Giants here, they're mainly looking for flexibility, not this coming mm-hmm. season, but the season after. So they have five free agent starting pitchers in the rotation here. They have Cueto, they have Kevin Gossman, they have Day Scalafini, um, Wood, and also Aaron Sanchez, all who can become free agents after this coming season. So what does this mean? So they have a payroll of about 151 million uh, this coming season, and it could get chopped down to 30 million. Mm-hmm. The, 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 you know this off season, that following off season. So the Giants are positioning themselves to be big players in terms of maybe acquiring more pitching help. It could be just re-signing pitchers that succeed with us this coming season here, and they could be big players. With all the big shortstop, yeah, and then I think Johnny Cueto still has like two years left on his contract as well, right? So it's a kind of a also a short term contract for him in terms of Farhan's eyes. <laughs> so yeah, it will be interesting to see what they do, right? Um, especially after I think if two years from now they're still doing these small contracts, I think the Giants fans will be outraged, right? <laughs> so I don't think they'll do that. Um, but once they have that flexibility, show us what you're going to do with that money, right? Are you going to 
build from the farm somehow? Cause or you're just gonna stack a bunch of veteran players and try to win it there, right? Kind of like what the 2010 team was, you know. So so we'll see. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, at least they have some sort of plan, to be honest with you, as opposed to just yeah. giving out contracts and and extending players that they don't like. Here, for example, they could have extended Madison Bumgarner, mm. right, or Kevin Pillar to multi-year deals. Luckily, they didn't here, and that gives them a lot of flexibility. Yeah, you make a good point. And those seasons. two guys, I think, are are fan favorites as well, right? I think when Kevin Pillar left, everyone's like, "Why did you give up the locker room leader, the leader in you know defensive stats and probably offensive?" He's up there too. Um, but the Giants aren't in win now mode, so having a guy like Kevin Pillar is kind of a anchor to the team, especially with the plan that they put forward. So, so I agree with you. And then we kind of avoid a bullet with Madison Bungarner because once he went to Arizona, he wasn't playing that well. So, yeah. All right, Absolutely. should we move on to Giants shortstop analysis? All right, so this yeah, is let's do it. part of our theme of Giants' different positional uh, positions, all right? And Mike is kind of the expert when it comes to the Giants and baseball, so I'll be asking him the questions here. Um, so today we'll be focusing on the shortstop position, right? So I think we talked a lot about Brandon Crawford. Uh, recently, news came out that he does want to come back after 2021, and he's excited um, to hopefully stay with the Giants. And so kind of brought me to this question, right, of how how we're going to do in this position. So, Mike, I guess generally for a shortstop, what do you look for in a shortstop position? Well, the player at the shortstop position, I'm looking at him as one of the most athletic um players on the team um here they have great um game iq great range foot speed um they could make all the throws um in the infield you know in in history shortstops used to be like this very small fast players and all they Mm -hmm. did was hit line drives ground ball steal bases kind of like an aussie smith type in the late 80s um to the to the late 90s um here but the position has evolved um fairly quickly and it stemmed from going, you know, going back to Cal Ripken Jr., um, who played shortstop mm-hmm. but was a big guy at over six, you know, six feet four. And also Alex Rodriguez played the position too um, in the two thousands. Um, so they, a lot of teams are looking for players who can hit for power, and here and are also big and sturdy too. And when you look at you know the past five World Series winners and look at the shortstop position at all five of these teams. You can kind of go one by one, you know, with the Dodgers, they had Seager with the Nationals. They had Trey Turner, who hit about 19 to 20 home runs a year. The Red Sox, they beat the the Dodgers a couple of seasons back. They had Xander Bogarts. The Astros had Carlos Correa and the Cubs had Addison uh, Russell. So all these guys at the time, they can hit and they can make an impact um, here. So long are the days are, you know, guys who are just you know, fielding ground balls and just playing gold glove defense. The shortstop position nowadays requires you, to, you know, to hit over 20 home runs, to, to bat over 90, 95 RBIs um, here and actually, you know, be a force yeah, in the lineup. I think Brandon Crawford actually fit that mold, right? I think he's becoming 
you know, one of our top hitters. I know the last season he was a little bit of a down year for him, but previously he was hitting, you know, close to 300, right? So um, when it comes to Brandon Crawford, he's played that position since 2011. He's a two-time All-Star, two-time World Series. Mm-hmm. And I think one of my fondest memories of him was actually his first ever game, right, <laughs> where he hit a grand slam. A um, little bit of a bittersweet game because Buster Posey also got hurt that same game, right? But, you know, he definitely came with immediate impact, though. Like, once he hit that home run, it's like, wow, this guy, this guy's legit. <laughs> right? I want to see more of this guy. And I think he had all his family's uh, members, like, inside the sta- on the stands and stuff like that cheering him on. And it was it was a cool moment, you know? But, um you know, he wants to come back for another year, like I mentioned. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think he has at least two more years left in him? Well, a lot of a lot of it will be how he performs on the field this coming season. But you have to keep in mind that he is 34 years old. So the following season, he'll be 35 um, here. And uh, he is in his final season of a six-year, $75 million contract, which is a pretty good deal considering what he's contributed to the franchise. Um, but, you know, this um, administration with Farhan, they didn't really draft um, Crawford and didn't watch him develop. And I'm sure they have their eyes set on the younger shortstops here to be in free agency. We'll look at Seeger, We'll look at Carrera. Um, Francisco Lindor and also Marcus Simeon mm. are primed to be free agents and much younger than Crawford um, here. So, the Giants will be big players, and the shortstop position here has a lot of good young. Yeah, I know, and I think uh, Mark Marto Dubon and Donovan Solano was actually playing that position as well, right? So, um, mm-hmm. I think that kind of shows that they're trying to, you know, limit the number of games. I think for Crawford because of his age, um, and also his contribution at the bat is slumping a little bit as well. So yeah, I agree with you. We'll kind of see what happens. Um, and if all those other people are free agents, then, you know, there's definitely other options out there. Um, would you, so who, who would you consider as the best giant shortstop of all time? Do you think Brandon Crawford or Rich Aurelia kind of comes to my mind as well? Then you have guys like Juan Uribe and Chris Spirier. You know, and I think everyone kind of thinks that Derek Jeter is probably the best shortstop shortstop of all time as well, right? But <laughs> I guess specifically for the Giants, how do you think uh, you know all the shortstops stack up? Well, I think from a hitting standpoint, Richard Rolia probably ranks really high up there. Um, just because um, some of his prime years were really excellent years. He had like a 2001 season where he hit like about 37 home runs um, there. So Richard Aurelia, you know, he's done, you know, so much good for the franchise. He went to a World Series um, here. He had a lot of great seasons. Um, but when you're looking at, you know, who won the most World Series, uh, who, ha- who won the most gold gloves, who has a silver slugger award, who has a seven hit game, who has an eight RBI game, here and the only player in major league history who has a seven hit game and also an eight RBI game would be Brandon Crawford. So if I'm going to rank like one of, one of the best shortstops of all time, just due to awards and, and trophies, it's got to be, uh, you know, Crawford in that standpoint. Um, you mentioned some other cool names there. Um, you know, Juan Uribe, he 
played a lot of other positions, so I wouldn't really classify him as a um, as a best shortstop here. But if I'm going by like my favorite shortstop of all time, uh, I'm gonna rank um, uh, Renteria <laughs> there, who was uh, the shortstop yeah. uh, for the 2000 uh, San Francisco Giant. Uh, he only played there for like a couple seasons, but uh, he was World Series MVP um, during the 2010. Uh, World Series. Um, he hit 412 there in that World Series, and he was also um, he also hit a couple um, game-winning home runs there. And you know, if, if we didn't get his contributions, who knows if the Giants yeah, would win that, that World That's Series. really interesting to me that um, 2010, um, you know, Edgar Renteria came through for us and was really clutch. But um, in tw- 2009 uh, is where Rich Aurelia retired, right? <laughs> so Rich Aurelia had decided yeah. to hang, not hang up a year early. Will we have won the World Series? Don't know, right? But we, you know, he he definitely probably regrets it, right? Because he probably wants to get that ring and probably had one last run in him. <laughs> but it's just kind of ironic. I just thought that, you know, you're kind of handing off uh, one of the best Giants shortstops to a person who's clutch and won the game. And like you said, a really good one as well. And then obviously now Crawford is there. So so I think the Giants have a kind of a rich history of having good shortstops there. So it'll be Interesting to see who Crawford passes a torch on um, if he doesn't come back. Yeah, and what's the future of that uh, of that shortstop position within the franchise um, here? And you know, the Giants did uh, have um, an infield coach named Kai Carrera here, and he has this strong reputation for developing infielders um, nowadays. And uh, you know, we have some. We have some pretty good players um, in spring training and probably the best player or the best prospect um, from the Giants franchise is uh, Marco Luciano here. And he's a six foot two uh, top 20 prospect, all of Major League Baseball um, here, 19 years old. He has plus bat speed, drives the ball to all fields, has a ton of power, above average arm um, here. The only thing, the only weakness um, out of Luciano is his foot speed here. Um, he may not get to balls a lot fa- a lot faster than a lot of shortstops out there, so they might move him to third base. But at this point of his career, um, he's a shortstop. And they also have this guy named Will Wilson, who they acquired um, here, I believe, from the Angels uh, via trade a couple off seasons ago here. And he could also play second base, shortstop, mm, and nice. third base. So um, the future is pretty bright. Yeah, that's great uh, that the there's position. a couple young guys that could potentially step in. So um, are, are, do you think those guys will make the roster or are they going to stay in the minors for a little bit and, and then come up? I think, yeah, I think to start the season, I believe uh, Luciano and Wilson will probably be in the minors um, here. But I wouldn't be surprised if they mm. called Luciano okay. um, sometime cool. during yeah, the season. Yeah, that's something to look forward to. I think this position, I think specifically is... Uh, to me, one of the more interesting ones next to catcher, right? <laughs> on on what, what's going to happen this next season. Um, just because there's so many uh, question marks, I guess, um, on how the. And also, two of my favorite players right now are in those positions. <laughs> so, just want to see how the the torch gets passed and what the Giants do there. So, yeah, to me, the, I think shortstop and catcher are, are definitely my two, uh, two go tos for the next season. 
Well, the great thing is that the organization um, has provided mm-hmm. depth at those two positions um, here. Yeah, so the future definitely. is definitely bright. All right. Let's move on to NBA. Yeah. NBA news with the Warriors. So they um, acquired Jacob Evans over there to sign on with the G League team um, here. Do you think this is um, a move for Evans to come back to the NBA with the Warriors and try to get that second chance again? Or do you think uh, they're just going to evaluate how Evans does? Or Yeah, I mean, that? if he gets um, picked up before Jeremy Lin, I'll be super disappointed. <laughs> Mainly because I think they're kind of on the same level in some ways. Um, but the Warriors did draft mm-hmm. him pretty high too right in 2018 they picked them 28th overall so um i don't know i guess we'll see (laughs) i I, the reason why i'm kind of cavalier with him about it is i think he's been kind of a disappointment based on where he was drafted right and um i just i i was a little bit surprised actually when they did cut him um because i thought they were gonna give him a little bit more chance to to kind of show his stuff right um but then he never really panned out after that, right? I think he had one good game and a loss against the Clippers with us, you know, <laughs> where he scored 14 points. Like, um, you know, that's super impressive. And then once we acquired um, Andrew Wiggins, um, he was part of that trade. And obviously the Timberwolves never, never did anything with him and he came back, you know? So in some ways, um, I guess his biggest value is really helping us get Andrew Wiggins and then coming back, right? So it's almost like we have a free player that we got back. So, um. Yeah, or maybe the Warriors staff thinks that Evans has um, still something left to give um, here. He was traded um, involving the D'Angelo Russell trade uh, last February here in addition with mm-hmm. um, Omari Spellman. So maybe he was included in that deal because uh, the Wolves really wanted Evans at the time and wanted to kind of give him a look. So I think it's another one of those low risk, you know, potentially, you know, medium reward uh, type of moves. Yeah, the interesting part is after the T-Wolves acquired him, nine months later, they actually traded him to the Knicks. And then Knicks waived him a month after that, or mm-hmm. actually two weeks after that, they waived him. So, so he was playing in the G League for a little bit, but you know, yeah, it's just really tough for Jacob Evans, just because I think um, he doesn't really have um, any great offensive skill set um, here. He's not like the greatest, uh, you know, ball facilitator. He doesn't shoot the three incredibly well um, here, and and he's not like. A, a true lockdown defender either. So he's kind of like really in between um, there as a guard. So that's why a lot of teams have a lot, a lot of tough times or a lot of tough decisions. What, what do you think the Warriors saw the him? Like, do you see any upside that made, you know, Steve Kerr and team decide to draft him in the first round? Well, I, they saw him as someone who, you know, had size at his position, who they thought can play with the second unit um, here. Um, they probably um, misthought that he can shoot the three very well because when he did come to the NBA, he could not shoot the three um, here. So they really just saw him to be a big contributor to the playoff push 
they thought that he can um, kind of fill that role um, here, um, mm. kind of like an Iguodala-like role in which they, he could come in for defense um, here and kind of handle his own in that area. But once he came to the NBA, he was just overmatched both defensively and offensively. And that's kind of what... Um, what propelled yeah, him let's to see what, how he bench. does right now. He's been in the league for, you know, three years now. So let's see if he picked up any new skills since. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, nothing. I mean, to be honest, you go to the G League, it's not non-guaranteed contract. Yep. And Evans continues to develop, right? It's not like he wasn't playing since he was traded. So he, you know, he's been playing ever since. So the, these three years, maybe with different coaches and different um, games, he might learn some new ways to play and be a contributor sometime. Yeah, and we talked about the Warriors with some um, really bad losses uh, this past week um, here. You know, the, they won against the Knicks uh, last night here in New York. You know, with Wiseman and Looney coming back, uh, yeah. Did you like what you yeah, saw? Yeah, I missed Wiseman and Looney. Yeah, for <laughs> those guys um, definitely coming back made a big difference, and it was kind of nice to see uh, Draymond Green working with Wiseman. I think on the defensive end, um, you can see um, Draymond really um, showing Wiseman the ropes and kind of focusing on him to get in right positions and stuff like that. And then on the offense, offensive end. Um, Draymond's feeding him a lot of balls for a lot alley-oop shots and open open looks and stuff like that. So so it was really nice to see that chemistry between Wiseman mm-hmm. and Draymond. And then Looney was just you know a solid starter, right? That and sides that we were missing. Um, what kind of stood out to me in this last game with the Knicks was actually the bench. And I think you mentioned it earlier that the bench is really inconsistent, mm-hmm. and it. This last game really showed that, right? Um, the bench was kind of getting eaten alive. Um, the starting lineup was doing really well. Uh, we had a pretty sizable lead, and they were trying to limit Curry's minutes. Um, so the bench came on, and the bench basically gave up the lead. And the next game came really close to the end, but Curry has a lot of clutch threes and a lot of good assists and right times, and they played def- good defense on the other side of the ball. Um, to actually pull that game through, right, and made that game um, unattainable by the Knicks, but just a little disappointing. Um, I think Damian Lee um, was hot in the beginning of the season. He's kind of cooled off a little bit too, right? So, um, and I think um, <clears throat> we talked about Wanamaker already too, and I think Wanamaker did not contribute as much. Um, but the bigger disappointment, I think, was Eric Pasco in this game, right? Eric Pasco was non-existent. You know, and for a guy that was such a big contributor in the first couple of games, he's fizzed off a lot. And this last game really showed it. You know, it was just not in the right position. I think he had um, a couple buckets, but it was through, you know, like a free throw and then um, off of like three, three uh, out of six field goals, right? So it wasn't super impressive for him. So he he did have some moments there. Um, and then Ken Bazemore, who has been hot the last few games, was also kind of cold here. You know, so we're we're looking at a team that's um that definitely needs to rethink the bench and how that chemistry will will, will um shape up. So um I was a little bit um surprised that Kerr didn't play Toscano as well. Um I think it was a DMP for the game. 
Um, but he, the Scano Anderson have been playing pretty good these last few games. And in some ways, I would have wanted him to play over Wanamaker. So, um, do you see anything in this game, Mike? Yeah, I think mainly the bench stuff, which you make some really uh, excellent points about um, here. Uh, Eric Pascal, uh, he is dealing with uh, an injury in terms of knee soreness. There, so I'm not sure that's really impacting his performance. But in the beginning of the season, he was just kind of dominating non-skilled big men off the dribble um, here. And Kurt mentioned that he's going to have to um, help Pascal develop a little bit more in terms of uh, facing power forwards or more athletic power forwards. Um, so when Pascal does face you know, more um, formidable defenders at the forward position, he struggles. So that's something to look out for um, here. So it's kind of a double-edged sword with Pascal when he plays against um, centers because in one area, he's like, okay, I'm just going to feast off them, right? But then in another area, he's not really improving his own game when he's doing that. So that's something um, that's kind of concerning um, there. And uh, another point that needs to be made is that the, the starters with mm-hmm. uh, Kavon Looney, they really played very well uh, with him on the floor there. So we're just going to see um, Kerr play Looney a whole lot more. Yeah, with I agree. Starters Do you think he's forward. kind of a liability on the offensive end? Uh, just looking at his stats and and just thinking of like moments where mm-hmm. you know he was on offense, he didn't really do much, right? <laughs> well, I think Wiseman definitely did a lot on offense, right? And and the whole feeding baskets and alley oops yeah. and stuff with Wiseman, you don't really see that with Looney. Um, maybe it's because of his history of injury, or that's not his style of play. Um, but definitely a big contributor on the defensive end. I think that's why. Um, and rebounding, right? Like on the offensive side, you see a lot more rebounding. Just not a lot of scoring or not a lot of um, not a huge presence there. Um, does that concern you a little bit or no? Uh, not really, just because um, his his ceiling is really capped in the offensive end. Um, what he really, what he's really good at is um, kind of his defensive awareness on the floor. And what coaches love about Looney is that he's mm-hmm. a scouting report dream, meaning that you give him the scouting report before the game and he's going to follow it to a T and he's going to know exactly where the spots are on the floor. As opposed to if you start another player at that position, and that could also be an inexperienced Wiseman, he's not going to know all of that just because he's so inexperienced there. So that's why Kerr really loves Looney on the floor there. And, um, yeah, the way he just kind of places himself in certain spots, um, the way he knows exactly where to go defensively, where to screen. That makes yeah, I was really happy when he re-signed with us, right? Especially with the contract that he had, the three-year, 15 mil, I thought was probably the best contract the Warriors did <laughs> um, in terms of just value value at that at those dollars you know and he was a big contributor to um, that playoff run in 2018 right so um, so yeah I think he, I, I, I agree with you so I think he's definitely a big contributor so we have to see how how um, Wiseman develops and potentially move moving Looney to the, more of the backup position, right? Instead of the other way around. Um, I think for the future, that's that's the way it has to be. Yeah, I mean, I think starting Looney to start the games are okay, but the Warriors really want to see Wiseman develop into mm-hmm. that closer 
role where he can play with Curry, Draymond um, there and make a big factor in that area. But at the same time, you have to understand he's 19 years old um, here and he's not going to understand all the yeah, concepts. Yeah, I think and, you will hope by the end everything. of the season that he would, though, right? Because you're going to have a lot more games under him. Um, I think the disadvantage with Wiseman is the fact that he did have a full college season as well. Um, I feel like a lot of skills that he's learning now in the NBA are stuff that he should have probably already learned in college, you know, but he hasn't played those games. So so he's playing catch up a little bit. Um, I would think mm-hmm. probably next year the expectation should be that he he'll have more of that veteran presence, right? Because he has one year under him and be able to close out games like you said. So Yeah, absolutely. And just looking at the Warriors' schedule for the rest of this week, Jerry. So the Warriors will be going to Indiana to face the Pacers um, today at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. Then they go uh, play the Hornets again at home. And then the Lakers on Sunday here. What do you think is going to be uh, their record for these next Oh, three man, games? this is tough. <laughs> um, so the Pacers, I think, will be tough. Right, but I think it's a winnable game. And I think we can probably do a pick on that one later. Um, the spread's one and a half, so I think it's gonna be a pretty close game there. Um uh-huh. and then with the Hornets, it's kind of a revenge game, right? They almost beat them without Curry, and now Curry's back. So in theory, they should win that one. And the game after that is with the Lakers. Um Lakers are probably looking at revenge with us, right? Because <laughs> we did upset them early. So maybe a loss there. Um and then the Blazers with the Blazers, it's always a toss-up, right? I think matchup-wise, we actually played pretty decent with them, um, but this is a kind of a different Warriors team, you know? So, um, but I'll still give Warriors the edge there, so I would say that's a win. And then with the Suns, I think the Suns are better than us, so unfortunately, that's a loss there. So if you put that all together, um, potentially 3-2 and two or 2-3 or and three, um, <laughs> for the next five games. Yeah, I mean, like, um, kind of going by the season trend here, it looks like three and two will will be uh, the record um, for the next five games. Uh, I see them uh, coming back and bouncing um, off a win against the Pacers today. Uh, the Hornets, I think they'll win that game. The Lakers, I think they'll lose that game. Uh, the Trail Blazers think they win and then the suns they lose so i think we have it pretty yep, yep. uh pretty accurate to the t yeah let's do, do we have let's a do line picks for, for the, that the so pacers the line is one and a half with uh the pacers being favored uh the over under is 231.5 um so I, I guess i'll go first mm-hmm. um i think it'll be pretty close but I think the Warriors do yeah. have a good chance of winning this one. I uh, know is in uh, Indy, so that's probably why Indy is favored. Uh, usually, home team gets a couple points there, right? So, um, so in some ways, I think Vegas probably thinks this is a pickup, right? <laughs> it could go either way. So, I'm going to roll with the Warriors here. And over under 231.5 yeah. sounds pretty good to me. I uh, should probably. You know, a little bit high, but I think it's going to be a pretty fast-paced game. But I do believe in the defense of the Warriors. The Warriors have been pretty good at stopping um, uh, opposing teams, especially with Wiseman and Looney back now. 
um, they're just a lot better at clamping down, right? And I don't think anyone on the Pacers side really scares me too much offensively. Um, so I think they'll be playing a lot of defense there too. So I'm going to go with the under here. How about you? Okay. So I'm going to go uh, the Warriors um, with the line here. And uh, looking at the Pacers' schedule, they haven't played since last Wednesday, February 17th. So they, they've had quite a lot of rest um, here. So I'm going to expect them to score quite a lot of points um, for tonight's game. All right. So I'm going to awesome. go with yeah. the, the reason why I think the under was good is if you look at their schedule before, right? I think with the T-Wolves, it was a high-scoring game because they went to overtime. Mm-hmm. With the Bulls, it was also a big scoring game because of overtime. But before that... Um, you know, I think with the Hawks it was fine, but then before that game, it was like they couldn't even break 100, right? <laughs> they were having trouble breaking 100. I think at most they had 111, right? Um, so it's maybe it's a new trend for them, um, that they will start scoring a lot, um, especially with the rest that you talked about, right? Uh, so that's kind of an interesting that they had such a long rest. Um, do you think it was it because of COVID or something? Um, yeah, I actually have no idea. It could be COVID related um, here, or may just interesting, been interesting. A schedule, schedule wise, in which the yeah, NBA that's that's interesting. Put them off, I, I don't so. think I've ever seen. Oh yeah, it's because uh, Monday the Spurs game was postponed because of COVID. So yeah, so that's why they had such a long layoff. Because <laughs> usually you'll see teams yeah. with this long of a layoff, right? So it's uh it's interesting there. Okay, yeah, maybe maybe the over, like you said, because they're well rested, but but we'll see. Um, I'm excited to see this game. I think the remaining schedule looks interesting. And then I think that's when they're going to have an all-star break in between. And then that's where the new schedule comes out, right? So, mm-hmm. All right. I think that uh, concludes uh, this week's episode uh, for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This is episode 21 of the MJ Sportscast for Jerry. Thank you for listening to the MJ Sportscast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the MJ Sportscast at Mike408 at MindOfJerry11. Tune in next week for another exciting episode.